Canada curious? This is the Yes We Canada podcast, the progressive's guide to getting the fuck out. This episode, Trudeau, the second. Hi, I'm Matt Zimbel. We've talked about his wife. We've talked about his mom. We've talked about his predecessors. We've even talked about his house. But on Yes We Canada, we have said very little about our current Prime Minister, Justin Pierre James Trudeau, or, as we call him up here, Trudeau II. Yanks, listen up. Since I'm one of you, I know your American can-do attitude very well. I know your ambition, and I know what you're thinking. When I move to Canada, I'm going to need to get a job. Why not start at the top? What's the criteria, the previous work experience required to become boss of Canada? Let's see here. Have you ever been a nightclub bouncer? Camp counselor? Okay, good. That's good. That's a good start. Have you ever been a drama teacher? Class, Shakespeare said... To be or not to... Ah, shit, no. Okay, let me try that again. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. You're doing good. Two more questions. Was your father Prime Minister of Canada for 15 and a half years? No? Okay, well, have you ever dressed in brownface to play Aladdin at a college Halloween party? No? Okay, well, three out of five ain't bad. A brief history of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, your new supreme leader, is in order. Justin Trudeau is 48 years old and is in the first year of his second term as Prime Minister of Canada. He's the 23rd Prime Minister of Canada and was elected when he was 44 years old, the second youngest Prime Minister in Canadian history. Are you taking notes for your citizenship test? Well, you should be. Trudeau's first election victory as PM was an electoral accomplishment like few others. When the campaign started, his party, the Liberals, were in third place in the polls, behind the socialist-ish New Democratic Party. In a brilliant campaign strategy, Trudeau out-socialized them. You see, the New Democratic Party has never formed a national government in Canada, but they have run provinces regularly, and they've developed a bit of a reputation for being loose with the taxpayer's dough. You know those socialists. They spend on frivolous shit all the time, housing for the poor, equal pay for women, a working minimum wage, that useless crap that does nothing to add shareholder value. At the time, the leader of the NDP, Thomas Mulcair, was an attack dog in Parliament. Think Elizabeth Warren, super pissed, with a big, bushy gray beard and two snarling Dobermans at his side, ready to tear up their leashes, and you get the idea. Team has been convicted of cheating in every single election he has won. What safeguards has he put in place to try to ensure that his team doesn't cheat this time around? Mulcair, a lawyer, had no warm and cuddly. Day after day in Parliament's question period, where the politicians preen for the electorate and pretend to answer questions, while they're extremely rude and there's lots of catcalls and some pretty high-octane dust-banging, Mulcair continually cross-examined the conservative government of the day. Maybe cross-examined is too polite. He continually carved the sitting government a new asshole, making their sitting all that much more difficult. 
For the first time in their history, the NDP were polling big time. The electorate was tired of the mean-spirited conservatives and loved the show Mulcair was putting on in Parliament every day, slicing and dicing the PM. The NDP could taste power. They had a real shot to form the next government. But they didn't want voters to think that they would be loose with the purse strings. So they campaigned on a no-deficit solution to Canada's problems. Boogeyman out. Then, those wily liberals launched their campaign platform by saying, After 10 years of the parsimonious Harper Conservatives, we have to improve this country, and if we have to spend money and go into deficit to do that, we will. Canadians were like, Oh yeah, eh? Bring on the money. Cha-ching! On election night, so many liberals were getting elected, the newscasters were saying things like, Gosh, Bob, I don't believe I've ever seen the electoral map go so liberal red before. It almost looks like a mistake. During the campaign, Justin Trudeau was well-liked, but he was widely regarded as a kind of intellectual lightweight, a kind of Sears male model version of a politician. Nonetheless, everyone wanted their picture taken with him because he was just so gosh darn good-looking. He soon became known as the selfie candidate. Selfies are not a gravitas supplement. But here's the takeaway on Justin Trudeau. Do not underestimate this guy. Think of him as a pretty boy, a lightweight at your peril. If you don't believe me, ask conservative Senator Patrick Brazo, who went three rounds with Trudeau in the boxing ring before... Wait, what? Your politicians settle things in a boxing ring? Yep. Welcome to nice Canada. The Senator, Monsieur Patrick Brazo, a.k.a. Braz Knuckles. Staring him down in the red corner. Please welcome, once again, the pugilist from Papineau. A man who needs no introduction, Justin Trudeau. As I was saying, Trudeau beat the crap out of Senator Brazo, who has his black belt in karate. Trudeau won on a TKO in the third round. Bam! Brazo is down. No one thought Trudeau would win. The bookies said three to one odds. The pollsters said three to one odds. The Tory is getting crushed. And And there you have it, the fight called for Justin Trudeau. Now, I would be remiss if I did not tell you that the match was a kind of a macho charity event that raised $200,000 for cancer and was broadcast on Canada's version of Fox News called Sun TV, which was a short-lived media erection of the federal conservatives, which has since thankfully gone bankrupt. You see, in Canada, Fox News is considered a comedy channel. You can depend on Fox News Channel. Real journalism, fair and balanced. Allow yourself a moment to bask in how pleasant your life will be in Canada without a Canadian version of Fox News. Okay, enough basking. Let's get back to work here. You need to know more about your new prime minister and the fascinating election campaign of 2015. So the Liberals campaign on a slogan that's brought back from the Liberal campaign of 1895. (laughs) Yep, you heard that right. The Liberals said, we're getting the band back together and we're only playing our hits from the 1800s. 
1895, the soon-to-be-elected Liberal Prime Minister, Sir Wilfrid Laurier, had as his campaign slogan the phrase, Sunny Ways. Sunny Ways, my friends, Sunny Ways. Kind of hippie, no? Toke? Stump speech? Anyone? I may need to explain the meaning of Sunny Ways to our American listeners who've been stuck in the dystopian American dream for the past little while. Sunny Ways was framed around the simple premise that through hopeful, positive kindness and maybe a dash of legislation, the Liberals could bring Canadians together, kind of like Trump's inaugural phrase, American carnage, except bouncy and happy-ish. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Now, Trudeau's a bit of a rule-breaker. The first rule he broke is that Politics is show business for ugly people. You and I have been hanging out for, what, eight episodes or something now? So you know when it comes to deep policy analysis, I'm your guy. But on this one, we just really have to start with the hair. Yeah, I know. You've heard enough about leaders' hair in America to last you for a long time. I'm not going there. But when we talk Trudeau, we have to talk hair. At least that's what the conservative re-election strategists thought when they wrote their ads for the 2015 campaign. You see, they would craft super nasty negative ads citing Trudeau's youth, his work as a nightclub bouncer, his lack of experience, yada, yada, yada. And then they would end the spot on an upbeat coda in a voiceover that said, Justin Trudeau is clearly not competent. Nice hair, though. High school, anyone? I think that women politicians have rightly groused that What they wear and how they do their hair gets more attention than their policy papers. But on reflection, hair, no matter the gender of the head to which it is affixed, gets good play in an election. When Justin took a narrow lead in the polls in the final days of the campaign, one of our leading political cartoonists, Aislin, proclaimed the poll results thusly. Trudeau, ahead by a hair. Hair did not become an issue for the new leader of the NDP, Jugmeet Singh, because as the first Indo-Canadian Sikh ever to lead a national party, he wears a turban. He had other issues to contend with. As Jugmeet Singh met with Quebecers at a Montreal market, one man gave the NDP leader some unwelcome campaign advice. You should cut your turban off and you put a little, you look like a Canadian. Oh, I think Canadians look like all sorts of people. When the smoke cleared on election night, Trudeau had taken the Liberals from third place with a paltry 36 seats in the House of Commons to a majority government with a strapping 184 seats. This was the largest seat increase in history, thus ending almost 10 years of conservative Stephen Harper's autocratic rule. Our quasi-socialist New Democratic Party, under the leadership of Jagmeet Singh, lost 51 seats, holding on to 44. 68% of eligible Canadian voters did their civic duty and voted. Now, to put that into perspective, in your 2020 election, 66.9% of Americans turned out to vote. And that is really huge voter turnout for you, and I think I know why. According to that most reliable source of information, the Trump White House, most of the Biden voters voted while they were dead. The election was rigged. By who? By the Democrats. They cheated. They cheated like nobody's ever cheated before that we know of. 
Oh, that is so 2020. Let's dial back to 2015 and let me finish telling you about our election. Trudeau becomes PM, forms the government, and then really starts breaking the rules. Broken rule number two. For the first time in history, Trudeau appoints a gender-balanced cabinet. The journalists ask, why would he appoint a gender-balanced cabinet? And he famously says, Because it's 2015. (laughs) Then he breaks rule number three. After the election, he goes on vacation to the private island of the long-term Trudeau family friend, the Aga Khan, a progressive Islamic leader and one of the 15 wealthiest royals in the world. The ethics commissioner was not amused. Ah, rich people, huh? All their lives, they get what they want. And, well, you know how it goes with those pesky ethics commissioners, don't you? Then Trudeau decides he's going to break rule number four. Do not interfere with your attorney general when she enforces laws that you're not particularly fond of. Uh Uh-oh. And then he breaks rule number five. Do not fire your attorney general when she insists on upholding laws you find politically bothersome. And your AG is the first indigenous woman to ever hold that post. And you are the first prime minister who is supposedly committed to reconcile the crown's relationship with the First Nations. There are more, but I'll make this brief. God knows you have enough of your own scandals to look after. You see, one of the biggest engineering firms in Canada, SNC-Lavalin, got into some trouble in Libya because they were buying some tokens of their appreciation. Oh, fuck it. Buying some gifts for the Gaddafi family in exchange for some public works projects. Well, that's not cool. And everything went to shit. And they got caught. And maybe graft is okay in the third world, but as nice Canadians, we don't condone it. Although, as I've said before, I know a lot of people in the immigration department, and if you leave something discreet in the podcast tip jar, I can put in a good word for you with Canadian citizenship and immigration. Anyway, SNC-Lavalin employs 9,000 people in Canada and about 3,500 of them in Quebec, where Prime Minister Trudeau has his seat. You see where we're going with this, don't you? When a firm in Canada is found guilty of graft, the company is punished by being prohibited from bidding for federal government contracts for 10 years. This was rather unappealing to the folks in the PMO. That's the prime minister's office, which you should know for the test. Pressure was applied to the attorney general, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the aforementioned first indigenous woman to ever hold that position. And the shit hit the ventilator. There were hearings, there were resignations, cabinet ministers, then the principal secretary for the prime minister, and then the chief mandarin who's called the clerk of the privy council. It was a bureaucratic massacre. Internationally, Trudeau's brand as the beacon of progressive democracy got defiled. It got about as ugly as it gets. But I guess the bottom line on liberal scandal is this. On October 17th, 2018, the Liberals made good on their election promise to legalize recreational pot. So, like, whatever. Of course, throughout his first term, Trudeau was dealing NAFTA with your MODIS, moron of the United States. MODIS regularly goes apeshit on Trudeau. Well, he's too fast. But Trudeau keeps his cool. His resolve is very chill. It must be noted that Trudeau has actually built a pretty impressive girl-boy cabinet. They work hard, they keep their powder dry, and they are wily. When the pandemic hit, they came to the aid of their people with remarkable alacrity. It was our bureaucrats' finest hour. That said, 
There are still indigenous communities in Canada under boil water alerts that have been there for 25 years. But I do have good news for you, my fellow Americans. Trudeau's government increased immigration and promised more than a million new immigrants in the first three years of his reign. In fact, they even increased immigration from war-torn Syria. And in a PR stunt of note, Trudeau actually met the first plane load of Syrian refugees at the airport and gave them winter coats and mukluks all around, which I think we can all agree is much more generous than Modis tossing out rolls of paper towels to Puerto Ricans following the devastation of the Category 5 Hurricane Maria. There's a lot of love in this room. A lot of love in this room. Oh yeah, and one more legislative tidbit that might help you start packing. When a Saudi prince decided he could dismember a journalist without any repercussions in Turkey, Canada stopped selling military equipment to the kingdom. But hey, you're an American exceptionalist. I get it. I know your attention on other countries is starting to wane, so I'm going to pick up the pace here. We're going to fast forward to 2019. Trudeau goes into his re-election campaign, and a few weeks in, A yearbook picture is circulated to the media of the PM as a younger man wearing brown face and dressed as Aladdin, taken while he was a drama teacher at a school costume party in 2001. Emergency, someone call a spin doctor, stat! Deeply ashamed, Trudeau apologizes right away in a scrum with journalists on the campaign plane. Remember the takeaway, don't underestimate the dude. His government survives the election, loses 27 seats, with only 33% of the popular vote, and he forms a minority government. No, a minority government is not a government of minority people or white people dressed like Aladdin. A minority government is a parliamentary term indicating that the sitting government is going to need the mojo of other parliamentary parties in order to survive. And since all the other parties in Parliament, the Greens, the Bloc Québécois, and the New Democratic Party, hate the Conservative Party, this is no problem. Trudeau takes his place as PM, but it ain't the governing picnic it used to be when he had 184 seats. You see, unlike you, we're a federation. Governing a federation, hmm, not so easy. The provinces are powerful, much more powerful than your state's. Trudeau started governing with a lot of seats in the East, but very few seats in the West. The Trudeau family brand is not adored in the Western oil patch. Remember, our Alberta is your Texas, cattle, conservatism, and crude. Way back in the 80s when Justin's daddy, Pierre, was prime minister, there was an oil shortage. Pops thought that maybe Alberta could help out the eastern provinces a bit by keeping oil prices lower than the world price, which of course meant less money for the oil patch. Hence, this very popular Alberta bumper sticker, let the eastern bastards freeze in the dark. I know, I know, we're supposed to be nice up here, but I think that we can agree that in the 1980s, the western Canadian bumper sticker was positively Trumpian. Pierre Trudeau never lived long enough to see his son occupy his former office. Justin has spared us the father and son psychodrama that you had to endure with the Bushes when... Junior showed Pops how to really invade in Iraq. But to this day, the energy policies of the father 30 years ago have not been helpful to the son. Part of that, the other part of... Oh, come on! Come on! Really? Really? Okay, this is it. 
Will you please respect the people in this room? As his security detail hustles him out of yet another angry mob town hall in Alberta and into the safety of the prime ministerial SUV, I think one could hardly blame a son for a moment of quiet patrimonial reflection. She's dead. Thanks for this. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, that prime minister job sounds pretty cool. I could do this gig. Tell me a little bit about the package. What's the salary range? Well, it's $345,400 Canadian, which is about 245000 Yankee dollars. Plus, you get a condemned mansion, two cottages, a nice office in a heritage building with an excellent view, a car and a driver, a security detail, not usually that big on the details, an airplane, and lots of exciting international travel. So it's not like, you know, tech entrepreneur green, but Prime Minister of Canada is a pretty decent CV enhancer for your next job application. But before you make your final decision, you really should ask yourself honestly, do you think you have what it takes to be Prime Minister of Canada? On March 12, 2020, Prime Minister Trudeau's wife, Sophie, came home from a trip to England exhibiting flu-like symptoms. She tested positive for COVID-19. Now, I really don't mean to gloat, but our First Lady, who's technically called the spouse, got COVID-19 a full six months before your First Lady did nanny nanny boo-boo. But unlike when the White House became a COVID biohazard site, when Trudeau's wife got COVID, the family went directly into isolation. They dismissed all their household staff, and Justin and Sophie slept in separate bedrooms. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're the leader of a G7 country in the middle of the biggest crisis to hit your nation in a century. You're nursing your wife back to health while being the sole caregiving parent to your three housebound children, all under the age of 12. Every morning at 11, you emerge from your house and address the nation on the pandemic from your porch while overseeing your country's emergency response. Out of nothing, your bureaucracy builds programs to aid citizens who are newly unemployed, and within two weeks, people are getting direct deposits right into their bank accounts. Then you build a program to aid closed businesses, send airplanes all over the world to gather PPE for frontline workers, and repatriate your citizens stuck abroad. You do all this while tending to your sick spouse, homeschooling your children, and cooking and cleaning for two weeks. No biggie. Remember what I said? Don't underestimate this guy. Now, as a progressive, this next bit is going to be hard for you, so grab onto something solid for a second, hold tight, and permit me to tell you a short story, because the final word on Trudeau has to go to a true American visionary. It's the night of April 14, 1972. Justin's father, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, and his wife Margaret are hosting a lavish gala at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. The American guest of honour makes a toast to the six-month-old Justin Trudeau. To the future Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. And then President Richard Nixon sat down. Whoa, 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 hold the theme, I'm not done yet. Thank you. It was later revealed on Nixon's White House tapes how he really felt about his visit to Ottawa in April of 1972. We needed that like a hole in the head. What a goddamn waste of three days. Okay, roll the theme. 